Thank you, Owens. Isn't that good? I used to think his little head was going to pop off. <laughs> Brother Ron was just a, he was just a kid when he came to Rose Park. He had, he had served at another church, but he came there as a teenager and, and after he'd been to Liberty University, and, and he just did a great job. We love Ronald. In fact, last Tuesday night, I was in a revival meeting with his three older sisters. Well, all of his siblings are older than him, but uh, his three sisters, and I couldn't help but listen and think about Brother Ron and think about Roger. I'm first, that's the first one of these guys that I met, and he has a voice like, uh, like Brother Ron's, and they sing high, and the sisters were singing uh, the other night, and I guess it was Robin had that beautiful high voice. And Well, listen, this is a talented uh, family. I thank God for him. And by the way, Brother Ron, uh, I call him Ronald. You, you call him Ron. We had a man in our church who's in heaven now. He called him Ronnie. <laughs> he used to love just to walk up to him and say, hey, Ronnie, how are you doing? But uh, uh, this is, uh, uh, Brother Ron's also a great preacher. And you, uh, if you're in his church, you know that already. I didn't have much to do with that. His mom was a member of our church. Uh, she and Brother Ron came, and uh, she, uh, she always told me, she said, I appreciate you helping Ronald. And I don't know if I helped Ronald at all. Ronald had all those gifts, and the Lord's just blessed him. He never helped me to sing. <laughs> you know, he just, he never did. Well, I want you to know this is Tuesday night of the revival. It means we have one night left. I want us to work extra hard. We've had good crowds. It's a wonderful crowd on Tuesday night. Last night was good. Sunday was good. And so let's work hard for tomorrow. Tomorrow night, let's have a big, big crowd. Uh, you know, it used to be that uh, you'd close out a revival on Friday or Saturday night, and the devil got those nights. And then we backed off a Thursday night, and now we got down to Wednesday night. Some churches I know, the only revival they have is Sunday. And they bring an evangelist in for Sunday morning. And if they have Sunday night, Sunday night, and that's it. Well, I really believe that uh, coming to church night after night is still a blessing. Some of you remember a time that we came to the house of God and we spent a whole week, maybe more than a week. I can remember preaching 10-day meetings. I don't think I ever preached a 14-day meeting, but uh, I can remember a 10-day meeting. And I can remember preaching Sunday to Sunday, Sunday morning to Sunday morning uh, many times. Uh, but uh, I know this. We used to preach, uh, have morning services and all of that. And somebody said, well, why did we stop? I'll tell you why. Because the devil won. And we gave up. And we quit. And we can call it anything you want to. In the old days, preachers uh, would call it compromise. And today, uh, we call it church growth. I don't understand. I can't quite comprehend that. Uh, but it's true. If you come to Shreveport on Sunday night, you're going to find church after church. Uh, they're shut down. Uh, the lights are off. Nobody's there. And uh, that's tragic to me. I don't understand that. And so I still like coming to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And why do you do that? Because Baptists need it. That's why we do it. And uh, so when it comes to revival, we need it for sure. And so it's good to get away to the house of God for a little while. In your Bible tonight, I, I want you to know that uh, I'm discussing the subject of death. Nobody likes to talk about death. In fact, we'll do almost anything uh, to stay away from talking about uh, death. 
As a matter of fact, there are people I know that uh, will not even go to funerals because they do not uh, want to think about death, talk about death, or be around uh, death. Now, I've been amazed a little bit how that we treat death. Some of you know that uh, uh, when you go to the funeral home, I hope that you haven't had to go there with your family anytime recently. I hope you don't have to. I hope the rapture comes and, and we all go to the uppertaker instead of the undertaker. But if you happen to go to the funeral home, you know this is true. Those guys with those cold hands, you know what I'm talking about? Those guys that have that look, I mean, they're like used car salesmen, kind of. They open that door that they don't always open, and sure enough, when you walk in, it's the showroom. I mean, casket after casket. I've watched people there before. I've watched them. I've been there many times with families. I walk in there, and sure enough, uh, the, the, the salesman, he's trying to look at this and look at this and look at that. And I've even seen people reach over inside and push down on them and... <laughs> See how soft. Now, can you imagine how foolish that really is? And yet I've seen people do it. And I've heard them talk about the colors. I, it, we're going to bury the thing. Do you understand? I mean, I've heard them talk about everything, you, you know, related to death. We plan. We plan our funerals. An old woman in my church not too long ago, she came to me. She said, you're going to preach my funeral. I said, when? She said, well, when you preach my funeral, uh, here's what I want you to do. And she gave me a long list. And it was good. It wasn't bad. And uh, there were no lies that I had to tell or anything like that. And she just, she, she mapped it out. Now we do that. We go to the funeral home. We talk about death. We plan for death. We plan our funerals because we use the excuse we do not want our children to have to do that. The truth is we know our children do a lousy job of it, so we do it ourselves. We do weird stuff. We go to the cemetery, we look around, we say, well, that's a good spot right there. The fact of the matter is, any spot's a good spot. It doesn't matter. But we'll go out there. I heard about a, a man and his wife went out there, and she started crying. She was walking around in the, in the cemetery, and she looked here and there, and she started crying. And her husband said, why are you crying? She said, I don't know anybody here. <laughs> it's sad, isn't it? The other day I stood at the, in the cemetery conducting the funeral of a neighbor that used to live right across the street from us when I was growing up as a boy. And I stood right in that place and I looked over there about 12 feet and there is where I'm going to be buried. Now that was a sobering sort of place to be. To stand right there and to look and there's my parents uh, where they're buried right there. And then right there, that's where I'm going to be uh, buried. Now my brother's going to be buried over there on the other side by my dad, but I was my mother's favorite son. And so I'm, I'm buried right over on this side. We have all sorts of thoughts about dying and death. I've told people for years, for 40-something years, I've told them that, uh, that I really want you to do this. Now, if you come to my funeral, if I happen to die, and you come to my funeral, and uh, you walk by the casket, uh, I do not want you to say those things that fit people say. I don't want you to say, he looks good. <laughs> I don't want you to look by and say, he looks like he's lost weight. <laughs> he has. He's dead. <laughs> His soul is gone. Can you imagine? I've been pastoring long enough, I can just imagine. You know who will walk by my casket? Uh, the meanest woman in the church, the president of the WMA, the Wide Mouth Auxiliary. I mean, she'll walk by, I can see right now, she'll walk by, I didn't call it that, but he told me that was the name of it. Uh, 
I, I can just see her. She'll walk by. All she's done is cost me trouble and pain and agony. And she'll walk by my casket, shed those big old tears. Jezebel makeup will run off of her face. And she'll say, oh, Brother Rocky. And if she does, I'm going to come out of that thing and ping her right in the eyeballs. I'd much rather go the rapture. How about you? I mean, I think it would be better for Jesus to grab us and run off with us. Well, when you think about dying, when you think about the dead, we're preoccupied with that. Years ago, Bruce Willis made a, a movie that was uh, The Sixth Sense. And the, the theme through the movie was, I see dead people. Harry Houdini, the magician, he was born on Halloween. He died on Halloween. And all of his life, Harry Houdini was preoccupied with the dead. He wanted to call people back to life, seance after seance, trying to get his, his parents, his mother especially, back from the dead. After he died, Houdini's wife tried uh, for months and months and months to call Harry Houdini back from the dead. It could be there's someone in this room that you are preoccupied. I'm worried. I'm, I'm afraid. I don't understand. I'm concerned. What happens to the dead? Well, if you open your Bible and begin to look, you're going to find that the Bible tells us what happens at death. For a child of God, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. We don't understand all of that, but we know that it's good. It's positive. The Bible teaches us uh, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Friend, the Bible says, precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. Well, we see it all through the Bible. There's just beautiful pictures. Uh, the Bible says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Friend, the Bible teaches us that for the child of God, there is no fear of death. But what about for people who are not saved? What about for people that, that are not saved? What happens to the dead that are lost? We know the righteous dead go to heaven. We know the righteous dead are with the Lord. But what happens? What happens to the dead? We begin to search our Bible. We come over here in Genesis and we're, we're looking. And it's not long, just a matter of a few chapters and we find the woman, Eve, holding her dead son in her arms. Tears are streaking down her face. She is wailing. God of heaven is hearing for the very first time on planet earth the sounds of a mother crying because her son, her child, is dead. Death. We begin to look. Where are the dead? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the historical books, the poetry, the prophets. Where are the dead? Where are the dead? Where are these dead that are not saved? Where are the dead? We come to Luke and find a little glimpse 
There was a rich man who fared sumptuously every day, and there was a beggar named Lazarus that was laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. The Bible said that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he left up his eyes, being in torment. We get a glimpse. We get a glimpse of a, of a beggar. We get a glimpse of a man who was out at, the, out at the gate. We get a glimpse of a man who was there in the beautiful mansion. And both of them died. And now one of them is in heaven, but the other one is in hell. And we get a glimpse. Then we come through the Gospels. We go to the book of Acts. We go through the epistles and we're looking. Where are the dead? Where are the dead? Where are the dead? Where are the dead that died without Jesus? And it's like he's in the back of the class. And his hand is waving back and forth violently. Stand to your feet, look in your Bible, Revelation chapter number 20. Revelation chapter number 20. As we hold our Bible and we look, and as though John is getting the attention of all of us, he says in verse number 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. The sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Father in heaven, I pray tonight that you'll bless our fellowship, the music that has been sung, and God, everything that's happened in this service. And now, God, I pray that you'll take your word and speak to our hearts, God, every person. For the believer, I pray you'll stir us to the point that we'll realize that our friends need to hear the gospel. And we've got to be ready. We've got to be clean. We've got to have integrity. We have to have a testimony. And God, help us to carry the word of God to them. But then, God, for that person in this room that's not saved, God, I pray that tonight they'll be brought to a place of panic, that they'll be brought to a place of fear, that they'll be brought to a place of jeopardy, that they'll understand that they need Jesus more than they need anyone on the face of this planet. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated, friend. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 20 that we're at the end. We're at the end. We're at the time of what I just read is a part of the great white throne judgment. What John said there was simply, I saw the dead. You want to know where the dead are? You're wondering where the dead who rejected Christ? You're wondering where the dead are who lived next door to you, grew up with you, went to high school with you? You're wondering where those guys are who died without Jesus, turned their back on the cross? John said, I saw the dead. Now, it's kind of one of John's phrases because in chapter 20, he begins in verse 1, I saw an angel. Verse 4, I saw thrones. Verse 4, I saw the souls of them. Uh, Verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. You and I are here at the great white throne uh, judgment. Now, you know this already, that uh, for the believer, there is a judgment. 
Not of his sins, but rather a judgment of his works. It is the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to give an account of the things done in our body after we became a Christian. We're going to give an account of those things, our service, if you will. Uh, The captain of our salvation is going to call us in, and he's going to talk to us about our service and how well we did what he wanted us to do in our Christian life. That's at the rapture. That's at the resurrection. Uh, That is the judgment seat of Christ. Well, then the Bible tells us 1,007 years later, there is a great white throne judgment. It is a judgment of the lost. Oh, Brother Maddox, what a terrible thing. The lost are going to be brought before God and uh, they're, going to, uh, they're going to find out if they were bad and bad, they went to hell. If they were good, they go to heaven. No, friend, no one in this judgment goes to heaven. Everyone in this judgment goes to the lake of fire. And so the Bible says that here we are and John is crying out to us. I call him John the Revelator, John the Apostle. And John is crying out to us and he says, I want you to know I saw a great white throne, but then he said... I saw the dead. That's the the message. Three things. Number one, I saw the dead standing before God. That's what verse 12 said. I saw the dead small and great stand before God. I saw the dead standing before God. What does that say to me? It says something to you and to me about the brevity of life. I saw the dead. You don't get to pick the age that you're going to die. Some people would say, well, I think that I'll live to be 80 or 90. My people live long lives. We don't know. Nobody knows. But even if you live a long life, 85, 95, 100 years of age, even if you live a life like that, you still have just lived just a, a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. So we see the brevity of life. I saw the dead People that had lived 20 years or 40 years or 50 years or 100 years or maybe more. We go back in the Old Testament and the long lives that people lived. And so I saw the dead, the brevity of life. Life is a vapor. Brother Max, what does the Bible say about death? The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. Oh, but Brother Maddox, you know, as I and I know, that uh, there are people that, uh, that they say they were on the, uh, they were on the operating table and, and they died and then they were, they were brought back. Don't believe that. And if, you, if somebody tells you that, you tell them that's not true. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. You don't die five times. You don't die three times. It's appointed unto man once to die. After that, the judgment. So here the Bible tells us about the brevity of life. Some of us... Uh, We'll live long, old lives, but some of us will not. When I think about this sermon, I was thinking as I was preparing and then when I was driving up here, I couldn't help Brother Donnie but think about your dad. I was a boy. I was a kid. I was pastoring this church. And, and Brother Francis, uh, Francis Ball, and, and, and he was a man's man. He was tough as a boot. He was that kind of guy that a young kid like I was then, uh, he, he fascinated me and, and we kind of hit it off and, and I, I witnessed to him and, and we talked and, and all kind, we just had a great time and, and sure enough, Brother Francis made a decision. I'll never forget, it was probably right in here somewhere, there was an old side, there was a sidewalk. 
I'll never forget Brother Francis bought on his knees. It's my, the funniest story I know about Brother Francis. He's on his knees. He's trialing that fresh that concrete. He's just going all the way down that. He's doing it. He's working hard. And listen, now, he was a tough guy. He was hard. He was, he, he was good, but he was, he was a tough guy. He's trialing that deal, and I'm over there watching him. That's what preachers do. I'm praying for you, Brother Francis. And anyway, he's working on that thing. And he looks up, and there's a black guy by the name of Clyde, if I remember his name right. And Clyde, he's the same black guy, used to knock on my door, 6 o'clock in the morning. I opened the door, and he'd say, I got your paper, Rev. Thanks a lot. He was walking right down the center of that fresh poured concrete. Francis Ball got up, didn't say a word. Walked right back to the end and started trying the concrete again and finished it up. Ladies and gentlemen, Francis Ball was a great guy. He stayed in my memory all these years because, well, there was a struggle. Is that right or is that wrong? I don't know if I believe that or if I believe this. And then he trusted the Lord. And then it wasn't many months and he died. That little parsonage used to sit over here. I'm 20 years old. In the darkness of that bedroom, crying like a baby. Because Francis Ball had died. My wife grew up in a preacher's home. They'd been around death a lot. But I hadn't. And he was my friend. And he was somebody that had just come to the Lord. That, that was a hard time. Death. Death. We think about death. We, we look at death. We think about the brevity of life. You may live to be just 41 years old like Brother Francis. Or you may, you may live to be 20 or, or whatever the case might be. Life is short. We see the brevity of life. I saw the dead standing before God. We see the eternity of the soul. I saw the dead. Wait a minute. I saw the dead. These are people who are not saved. I saw the dead. Where, what were they doing? Standing. You see how powerful that verse is? The dead, the dead who have died without Christ, the dead like the rich man in Luke 16. I saw the dead and look now at the eternity of their soul. They are standing. Years and years ago when I was a little boy, President Kennedy was killed. You remember that? All of us do if you're my age and, uh, and older. You remember where you were. You remember the classroom you were in very likely. Uh, you remember the teacher was crying or the principal came over the, uh, over, the, uh, over the microphone and told us, over the speaker system and told us that President Kennedy had been killed. And all of us remember that. There were people that said John F. Kennedy wasn't really dead. That was a hoax. Years later... Elvis Presley died. They said later, Elvis Presley didn't really die. If you go to Graceland, look up there. If you stand at the pool and you look up there in that room, you'll see the curtain move and that's where Elvis is. That's what they said. He's not really dead. May I tell you, they're absolutely right. John F. Kennedy didn't die. Elvis Presley didn't die. Not in the sense that the world thinks of death. The world thinks of death as being, uh, as being annihilated. The world thinks of death as being like Rover the dog dead all over. The world thinks of death as a person just going out of existence. But friend, the Bible tells us that when a person dies, they die physically, but their eternal soul lives forever. John said, I saw the dead standing. 
standing. And then it says, I saw the dead standing before God. We see the brevity of life, the dead, the eternity of the soul standing, the certainty of judgment before God. Judicially, I saw the dead standing before God. I saw the dead ushered in to the presence of God. That's what John is saying. And so here we see it. I saw the dead, number one, I saw the dead standing before God. May I tell you, friend, I don't care who you are. I don't care how much money you have. It doesn't matter if you can move this entire county with just a a stroke of your pen. It doesn't matter how powerful you are. It doesn't matter how famous you are. It doesn't matter how strong you are. One day you're going to die and you're going to stand before God. I saw the dead standing before God. Then the Bible says this. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. The Bible says, I see the dead staring at the past. I see the dead. Here they are. These are lost people. Not one of them is saved. They're lost and they're standing before God. And now then something happens. The books are opened. Every preacher I know has an idea about what this is. Since my idea is right, I'll tell you. I saw the dead standing before God and the books were opened. What kind of books would this be? Well, I think it is books that are related to the records of the past. Past. I think it's books that tell us about our lives, the plural books. I think that's dealing with the Bible. The books are open. If you were to get in your automobile, get out here on this highway, head towards Shreveport, Louisiana, and uh, you're driving too fast, one of these nice gentlemen will pull you over and give you a ticket. How's he going to do that? He's going to do it based on the posted speed limit. And friend, one day men will stand before God and the books are going to be opened and they're going to be judged out of those things that were written in the books. And so the books, the word of God, men are going to be judged by the word of God, what they heard, what they knew, what, what, they had, been, what had been preached to them, how they'd been convicted by the Holy Spirit who took the sword of the Spirit and had thrust it into their very heart. The Bible says that men are staring at the past, past truth, all the truth of the reality of God, the truth about sin, the truth about the love of Christ, the truth about all that Jesus did for them, the gospel. There it is. Men are going to be judged according to the gospel. But then, not only past truth, but past testimonies. The books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. I personally believe the book of life has every person's name in it. Yours, mine, everyone, everyone who's ever lived, their name is in the book of life. Everyone. And then there is something called the Lamb's Book of Life. When you go through life and you die without Jesus, your name is blotted out of the Book of Life. You go through life and you reject the Lord day in and day out, and you die and you go to hell, your name is blotted out of the Lamb's Book of Life. And what do you have left after all those names have blotted out? Now you have the Lamb's Book of Life. Now you have that book that contains all the saved that have ever lived. Friend, the Bible tells us the books were open. I think there's books here uh, related to life. 
past truth, past testimonies. Can you imagine uh, in that book of life there's probably uh, recorded there every time you rejected Every time you heard and said no, every time, every time, every time, vacation Bible school, youth meetings, at Sunday school, camp ministry, uh, at the church when the pastor preached, your parents who begged you to come to the Lord, every time you heard the gospel over and over and over and over again. Can you imagine a man standing at this judgment, thinking about mom? Thinking about mom. My mother used to love to come to Brister. When I was a kid preacher. I remember when my mom got saved. I was about 10, 11 years of age. She got up that morning. She said, hey, we're going to church. We'd never been to church before. So that was interesting. So she carried me to church. My dad stayed home. My brother stayed home. He's four years older than I am. But I went to church. Probably then I had to go to church because she told me. So we went. And she got saved. First day I know of she'd ever been in church, she got saved. There she was. She, she uh, asked the Lord to come into her heart, and it changed our whole family. Before long, she led her mother to the Lord, her brother to the Lord, her sister to the Lord. Before long, my dad got saved, my brother was saved. And, and so all of that was taking place. I'm 27 years old. My mom has pancreatic cancer. And on that day, she's going to die. I'm in the ICU unit at PNS Hospital. My best friend Tommy Oglesby is standing right beside me. And my mom reaches up and takes my hand. And she looks me right in the eye. And she said, Rocky, mom took care of this a long time ago. Mom took care of this a long time ago. You don't have to worry about me. I knew exactly what she was talking about. Friend, I want you to understand, I want you to know that uh, there are people that, that have talked to us and begged us and, and, and pleaded with us, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. And one day, if you're not saved, you're going to stand before God and you're going to remember all of that. The books are going to be open and you're going to be judged out of the books. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And there it is, all of your life. It's a book of past truth. It's a book of past testimonies. It's a book of past tears, the tears that somebody shed for you. My dad came to church Sunday after Sunday, not saved. My dad was a bouncer in a bar. He was mean. He was tough. He was built like a Baptist preacher, little thin waist, big shoulders. <clears throat> He was. He was tough. And he was hard to reach. That little church that I grew up in, uh, my mom was there and she would raise her hand at prayer time and uh, pray for my husband. He's lost. Where would he be? Sitting right beside my mother. Pray for my husband. He's lost. Well, preacher, wouldn't that scare him away? Where's he going? He's lost. And on top of that, my mom ruled the roost. Pray for my husband, he's lost. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And then came that Sunday when my dad, under such conviction, got up and walked out. He went all the way home, about four or five blocks. 
got all the way home, and then he got there, and he realized the keys are back at the church. He can't get in the house. So he went to the backyard, and he sat there on the picnic table, and somehow the Spirit of God spoke to his heart and said, John, one day, Ollie, that's my mom, and the boys are going to be inside, and you're going to be locked outside. One day, your family who's saved are going to be in the house and you're going to be locked out. And friend, my dad bowed his head, asked Jesus to come into his heart and then raced back to the church, got there right during the close of the invitation and walked down the aisle and told the whole church that he just got saved. Listen to me. One day, friend, if you... If you go through your life without Jesus, if you go through your life unsaved one day, you're going to stand before God and give an account of your life. I was, uh, I was preaching a revival at the Fairview Baptist Church up in Blyville, Arkansas. Last night of the revival, I asked this question. I have not asked this question since. How many of you want to die and go to hell? To my surprise, a guy sitting way back there raised his hand high. How many of you want to die and go to hell? Straight up. I begged him to come down. He did not. After the service, I was standing back there in the foyer. The pastor was standing beside me, and this man and his family come walking by. He's a young guy, about 21, 22. He comes walking by. His mother is right there with him. His dad was not there. His mother was there, and this boy smarted off to me. Yep, that was me. I don't mind dying and going to hell. His mother was crying. Pastor tried to kind of just move him on. One year later, almost to the very week, I came back to that same church. The pastor, Ray Bowman, picked me up in Memphis at the airport. And on the way from Memphis to Blyville, I was talking with him and I asked him, I said, hey, I want to see that boy who last year raised his hand. I want to die and go to hell. Ray Bowman was an emotional sort of guy. And Brother Ray just kind of ducked his head a little bit, although he was driving. But you could tell he was sad. And he said, we can't do that. And I said, why not? He said, two weeks after the revival, he took an overdose of drugs. He's been in hell now for 30-something years. 30-something years, he's been in hell. 30-something years, he may raised his hand in church and said, I want to die and go to hell. And ladies and gentlemen, within two weeks, he was in hell. One day, he'll be in this crowd. He'll stand before God. I saw the dead standing before God. I saw the dead staring at the past. I saw the dead startled by the future. Look at it. The Bible says... And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell were delivered up, the dead which were in them, and they were judged, everyone according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. According to their works, what does that mean? That means according to their life, what they did on earth with the gospel. If they rejected the gospel, here they are standing there, and now they're about to be startled by the future, the description of judgment. When the Bible described judgment, lake of fire lake of fire it's so powerful the dead death and hell were cast into the lake of fire 
I think about standing beside a volcano and looking over into that red lava as it's churning and churning and churning. The description of the judgment of God, the lake of fire. There's a reprieve from hell. Men who are in hell right now, like the rich man, he died and he went to hell. He's in hell right now. He's going to be brought out of hell according to this passage. He's going to be brought out of hell for this judgment and then he's going to the lake of fire. For the Bible tells us that we see a description of judgment. We see a definition of judgment. This is the second death. A definition of judgment. What is judgment? The second death. Occasionally, you and I will be at the hospital. Or we'll hear about someone who was at the hospital who just died. They're lost. They're suffering with cancer. They were in a horrible accident, whatever. And they died. And somebody in their family will say, I'm glad they don't have to suffer anymore. But it's not true. When a man dies without Christ, he goes to hell. And then in this place, the Bible says that he's turned into the lake of fire. And the Bible then says, this is the second death. you got to die again. The man who suffered for months and months with cancer has to die again, yes. The person who, who had heart disease and suffered and suffered and died, they have to die again, yes. This is the second death. It's a spiritual death. It's an eternal death. The description of judgment, lake of fire, the definition of judgment, second death. The determination of judgment. You see it? Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. If your name's not in the book of life, you're cast into the lake of fire. For some people, they find that frightening. They say, now, that book was written long before I was born. That book was written in eternity past. And so if my name's there, or if my name's not there, I have no responsibility. I've already told you that's not true. Every name book of life. Are you alive? Yes. Book of life. Your name's in the book of life. The Bible talks about your name being blotted out of the book of life. The Bible teaches us that a man that goes through his life, trods underfoot the Son of God, counts the blood of the covenant an unclean thing. The Bible says that that person is going to be cast into the lake of fire. What a horrible thing. To imagine, just imagine, you go through your entire life and you say no to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Brother Max, I believe God is like Santa Claus. He'll just love everybody and everybody goes to heaven. Everything's fine. Friend, that's not the picture of the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a God of justice. The God of the Bible is a God of grace. He is a God of mercy. He has done everything to keep you out of hell. He sent his son. How much sore punishment you suppose they be thought worthy who have trodden underfoot the Son of God. You know, I've told this story for years and years and years. My oldest son, Rocky. For that matter, my youngest son, J.R. They're both over 40 now. 
Let's just imagine this busy highway out here. Let's just imagine you were walking to the other side of that, of that highway and one of my sons were there. We'll say it was Rocky. Rocky was standing there. He saw you walking. He also saw a truck coming down, barreling down the highway. He ran out there and pushed you out of the way and saved your life. But in doing that, that truck hit him. And let's say that it smeared his blood and his body down the road. Let's just imagine you got up on the other side, dusted off your clothes, and went walking down Highway 79, right through the blood of my boy. You stepped over his body. You just went on your way. You never acknowledged him. You just went on your way. I want to ask you a question. What should I do to you? Hello? You and I were standing right in the middle of the highway of life. And sin, in all of its power, ran right towards us. And Jesus pushed us out of the way at the cross. And sin, on the cross, sin slammed into Jesus. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment in time, he is you and he's me. He's a sinner. He died for us. Now, if you go through your entire life with your eyes wide open and your spiritual ears tuned in and you turn your back on the Lord, what do you think his father ought to do to you? I'm going to tell you what he's going to do. He's going to take hold of you. He's going to look on the bottom of your feet. And if his son's blood is on the bottom of your feet, he's going to cast you into hell. Because you have ignored the cross and turned your back on the grace of God. And you are responsible. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books. Friend, the Bible tells us that you, if you're not saved, you're going to stand before God. Let's bow our heads together. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Father, I pray for every person here, every need that's in this room. God, there are people here that are not saved. Their families brought them to the revival tonight. They brought them here that might be able to fellowship, meet people, enjoy the service. But they also brought them here because they knew that the sermon would be preached, the invitation would be given, and they wanted their family member or their friend to hear the gospel. And they're praying now with me for that person to be saved. Lord, I pray that tonight people would come to Jesus. I pray for the church that we'd come to the altar and pray. But I pray for lost people to walk out right behind us and follow us down the aisle and come to the altar and say to one of these preachers I need Jesus I need to be saved we pray in Jesus name amen as we stand together and as we sing this familiar song you come right now hurry I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided 
run to Jesus, hurry. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. God loves you. Jesus died for you. No turning back. Hurry. The world behind me, the cross before me. Come on, friend. Me. The world behind me. Come to Jesus, hurry. The cross before me. The world behind me. The cross before me. No turning back. No turning. Let's bow our heads just a moment. I want to ask you a question. Would you ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart right where you are? Would you do that? Brother Maddox, I'm new. I don't know these people. I'm a little intimidated to walk down the aisle. But yes, I would. I would ask Jesus into my heart if I knew how. Now listen, friend. You can pray right where you are. You can pray a prayer. It has to be your prayer. It can't be mine. You can pray a prayer in your heart. It's a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know that you love me. And I know you died for me on the cross. I repent of my sin. I turn from my sin. And I trust you. Please save me. Please save me. Friend, that's how I got saved a long time ago. Would you pray a prayer like that? Did you? While I was talking, did you? If you did, would you lift your hand up? I'm not coming to you. I'm not coming out there. Nobody else is. I wouldn't embarrass you for the world. Preacher, I prayed that prayer. Or preacher, I'm about to pray that prayer. Pray for me. And you just raise your hand. Would you do it? Anybody? Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Father, I do pray for this one. Maybe others as well, but this one. God, help them. Help them to say no to the devil, yes to Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One last verse. Let's sing that verse that says, Though none go with me. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still follow though none go with me I still will follow no turning 